0: Hello and welcome to God's Word During Exile. This is the podcast in which we have like a couple pastors or a bunch. Actually, so here's a little funny aside right here as we first get started. We're already on a rabbit trail. Uh, do you know that when you ask somebody for a couple of things, what are you asking for? Two or three. Two? Oh, good. Matt, thank you so much for saying two or three. So... In New Jersey, like a couple just means like this a similar to like the Midwest few. Like, can I have a few of them? So, like when you ask for a couple in New Jersey, you're probably gonna get more than two. However, a couple literally means two. Mm -hmm. So, so now that I'm saying that. God's word during exile is never a couple of pastors because it's never just two of us, unless it's Mike and I recording that we're not going to record that week. And then I have to eat a hot pepper.
1: Yeah, um, it does happen.
2: You know, but, like it's kind of similar when you say, you know, a minute or something like that. You know, it could be, yeah. it could be days. I haven't seen you in a minute. Oh, it's been a few days.
0: Exactly. <laughs> so next time, if somebody says that they want a couple of things, know that it could be more than just two. They asked a couple of 15. Yeah, a couple could be 50. Who knows? There's a talk show guy in uh, Minneapolis. Oh, sorry. There's
3: there's a talk show guy in Minneapolis called the Common Man. He says a couple 13, 14. And I'm trying to figure out if that means 13 (laughs) or 14 or if it means two sets of 13 and 14. I don't really know. Wow. Wow.
0: That (laughs) That got really deep. So well, anyway, so this is God's word during exile. We're a bunch of pastors that get together uh, who study God's word together. We record it. We put it out on Facebook and on podcast uh, interfaces in order for you to interact with us. And we hope that you're doing well. And we hope that you're joining us in a good mood. If you're in a bad mood, stick around because there's a good chance that you're going to be in a good mood by the end of this thing no matter what. And if you're not in a good mood, I would encourage you to email me at God's word during exile, all one word at gmail.com. We have not gotten even a couple emails yet for that email (laughs) that we set up for it. So if you're in a bad mood and by the end of this, you're still in a bad mood, you should email me and be like, Mike, you didn't deliver on what you promised, which was to put me in a good mood. With that being said, over here, Mike Hussey, down here, Matt Nelson, down here, Ben Baker, and right smack dab there, where it counts, sir, gets the square, and that is me, Mike. Uh, Today, we're going to be studying um, Revelation 18. Uh, We got through like the first four verses, but I think we're going to ask Ben to start in verse four and read, even though last time I think we got through verse four. Uh, and then we're going to talk through this morning um, of judgment. But before we get there, I would love to ask Mike to open, I uh, know Matt to open us in a word of prayer.
3: All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for bringing us together once again. And uh, we come in with uh, lots of needs and hurts and pains, uh, baggage from this world. Um, Lord, we uh we encounter troubles all over the place and we even contribute to them with our own sins and and we recognize father that we need forgiveness we need healing we need help and so we pray that you'd give that to us today and we know that you promise to do that through your word and that your holy spirit is always at work when your word is is read and shared and um, and that you are always answering when we pray in Jesus' name. And so we do gather in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Amen.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, Ben, will you read for us?
2: Yeah, so on verse 4 through the end of the chapter. Yep. All right. So reading from English Standard Version, starting in verse 4, Revelation 18. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, Since in her heart she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out alas alas for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth for in a single hour she has been laid waste rejoice over her O heaven and you saints and apostles and prophets for god has given judgment for you against her then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying so will babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. Here ends the reading.
1: Mike, you're not going to respond? Thanks be
0: to God.
1: Here we go. Yeah, Nelson dropped out.
0: When I looked up and Matt was gone.
1: Lost one. If he comes back, we'll let him back in. And then whatever we're talking about, we'll just ask for his wisdom on the passage without giving him any cues. We'll just put him on the spot (laughs) All right, so uh, one of my very favorite things about the book of Revelation is how often I'm reading through it, and I get reminded of passages in the Old Testament, and my mind is just brought back to either the promises of God or to events that happened and things like that. And as we read um, verse 5 here, which is where we're going to get started today, my mind actually went to two Old Testament passages. The first line says, for her sins are heaped as high as heaven. Uh, not really a great compliment for Babylon. I mean, that's not a good thing that your sins reach up to the heavens. But there's another part of scripture where there's a, a great city that talks about making a name for themselves and reaching up to the heavens. And, and Babel tries to do that. In Genesis chapter 11, they try to make that name for themselves, build that great tower. Um, and I love kind of the kind of the humor of Genesis chapter 11 where God decides he's gonna he's gonna come down and see what's going on as mankind is trying to build this giant tower that reaches all the way up to him and he can barely even see it but it appears what uh what Babel couldn't accomplish in their tower Babylon here has accomplished and reached the heavens um with her sins um so that's a pretty nasty proclamation we've got about Babylon there isn't it guys apparently we need yeah, nelson no i would
0: no no apparently we do need matt i would uh yeah i would agree that is a, a very interesting um thing to bring out and to kind of compare and contrast the two um what do you think it is that the sin had accrued so much that it did tower that high you think Damn. that's just the end of like what do you what do you think the reasoning behind that is
1: well, I mean, the kind of the contrast that I'm seeing between the Genesis 11 passage and this mm-hmm. is the, the greatest works of man could never, never achieve what they were looking for in, in reaching that status and giving themselves that name and becoming like God. Um, but the one thing they did have and they were really good at is wickedness and sin and filth and deplorable things. And so it outweighs it. It's another one of those points in scripture where it's like, hey, clearly there's no chance you can, you can save yourself here. Right. Mm, I think I threw Ben for a loop talking about the tower of Babel. He's like, yeah, books out from everywhere.
0: I think so too. I mean, he's trying to compile, which means that whatever he comes up with is going to be a bombshell.
1: That's true. I mean, don't you think, yeah. How do you feel about that, Matt? Yep. Can you uh, just give us your insights on this passage?
3: Um, yeah. yeah
1: uh, <laughs> totally agree. <laughs>
0: Welcome actually, back, Mike man. Mike was just sharing how heretical uh, he was being, and we were trying to stop <laughs> him. And now you came in and you affirmed him, so this is going to be a rough, <laughs> rough I, I should have known better. Yeah. No, actually, Mike was making a pretty cool comparison where he was talking about, you know, Babel in Genesis 11, and comparing it to um, what we're seeing here with Uh, the issues kind of stacking up all the way to heaven. Hmm. So I I think that that's an interesting thing to bring up, you know, in verse five, right out of the gate, where it says for her sins are piled up to heaven. That's uh,
1: not good. Yeah, not good. Well, and to make it even worse, that second half of verse five says God remembers her iniquities, which Ben, I know has some really good insights on what it means that they're remembered, but that also drew my mind back to the Psalms. One of my favorite uh, Psalms, Psalm 130, uh, verse three, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand before you? And then four, but with you, there is forgiveness, right? If God is remembering your sins, there, there is no standing before him. And he is remembering and seeing the sins of Babylon. And that's why she's fallen. You know, they are not forgiven because uh, the forgiveness of Christ has been rejected here by all those who who bought into the lies of the beast, followed after the dragon.
3: And for those of us who recognize how high our pile of sins are, it is the most incredible thing to be able to say, like with Romans 8, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus And to know that as big as that pile of sins is that God has, because of Jesus substitution in our place, he has looked at all of that and looked at us and said, innocent. I mean, what an amazing.
1: Oh man. Super fluties back again.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's football season. Can you
1: please at least get him in like a chargers uniform? You don't have to go with the bills, but why the Patriots?
0: Hmm. Well, I mean, one, because Patriots are American's te- America's team. Um, but two, i uh, I'll yeah, I'll see if I can uh, Photoshop something on that. You know, I probably after saying that, I might get some hate email to God's word during exile, all one word, at gmail.com uh, <laughs> over that comment of the Patriots being American America's team. So. Maybe we need
1: to put up a poll under this video. Which football team is America's team? Buffalo Bills or everyone hates you those are the two options.
0: buffalo bills wow. <laughs> i didn't even know they were in the running to be honest
1: yeah no they're at the top i'm telling you <laughs> ben did your research uh, yield any good results there
2: um well i was trying to see if the the language of you know so babylon sins of piled you know high to the heavens if that was if that exact language was used with Sodom and Gomorrah, I don't know if that exact language was used, but the idea is there that so when God comes to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, it's because um, the outcry on account of their sins had reached God, and they were very great uh, in the earth, and so I think we can see kind of a connection to here to the you know to Babylon and Sodom and Gomorrah and. You know, sometimes because Babylon is a more, you know, it's a, it's a figure, you know, that represents all ungodliness and wickedness, you know, wickedness and so on. Um, sometimes and when it's more abstract, we can kind of think that, well, that doesn't really apply to, to us and the situation we live in. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah, they, and the other cities, they were really bad. But, you know. The world in which we live today, too, is just as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah, um, you know, and, you know, maybe there it's more in our face because, you know, we can look back and say, okay, this was a, you know, God historically judged Sodom and Gomorrah. But, you know, we we basically live in Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, in our days as, as well. Um But it's also interesting to bring the connection into, as you mentioned before, Mike, the remembering, God remembering their sins. It's interesting that um, after, where's my, okay. So after God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, it says this in verse 29 of chapter 19 of Genesis. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, So that was Sodom, Gomorrah, and the other three cities with them. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. And I think that's helpful because we get, you know, another connection there. But in this one, by way of contrast, right? So in Revelation 18, God is remembering the sins of Babylon. In Genesis 19, God is remembering Abraham, right? So I think it's, it's instructive. I know we've talked about this before, but it's probably been a while, but I think it's instructive that what we see. So what do we see in verse 29 of Genesis 19? God remembered Abraham. So what happened? What was the result of that remembrance? Test your memory. Do you remember what I just read?
1: (laughs) Salvation for Lot.
2: Yeah. Right. So the, so the, um, Salvation of Lot from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is the result of God's remembering of Abraham, right? And that, that goes back just a chapter before where Abraham intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah, and he, you know, asks God, you know, if so many righteous people can be found, will you hold back your judgment? And And God agrees, and then Abraham goes lower and lower, and he finally gets down to 10. And God says, well, for the sake of 10 righteous, I will not destroy the cities. But there weren't even 10, right? But he saves Lot because he remembers Abraham. So for God to remember his promises, right, to remember his mercy, the the things that he promised to Abraham and to his people, is for God to act in mercy and in salvation, right? So we see this again in Exodus when Moses intercedes for the people of Israel after they had just uh, been worshiping at the golden calf, worshiping the golden calf, right? God's ready to wipe them all out and Moses intercedes for them. And he pleads with God to remember the promises he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so God remembers them. And the result is that Israel is saved, right? So when God remembers his promises, he is acting in grace and mercy. So this would be parallel to then when God forgets our sins, right? So it's not as if, you know, God actually forgets anything, but for him to forget our sins is to not count them against us, right? So the opposite of that then would be for God to remember sins. and You don't want God to remember your sins against you. Um, So, you know, so going back to, to Revelation 18, God says that, it says that God has remembered the iniquities of Babylon. And what that means then is she's going to be judged for her sins, right? So, yeah, we don't want God to remember our sins against us. For him to remember our sins is to judge us on account of our sins. And so, um you know, and where, so we get this idea, then what starts to come out in the scriptures is that God's remembrance is tied to action. So we don't want to think about it as just like this cognitive recall. That's typically how we remember how we speak of remembrance, right? Oh, I just called to mind something that I heard or saw, you know, years ago. Oh, I remembered for God to remember is for God to act. And so it depends on what he is remembering as far as what was acted against you or for you, right? And so this comes really comes out then in uh, the Lord's Supper because we are told to eat and drink the body and blood of Christ in remembrance of Christ, right? Do this in remembrance of me or do this in... Christ's remembrance. And so it's not, oh, as you're eating this little wafer and drinking this little cup, oh, I call to mind what Jesus did for me. That's that's really not what's going on there. It's not that we don't think of that, but it's not mere cognitive recall, right? Um, to do this, which is to do all that Christ instituted and commanded in the in the sacrament, to do this in his remembrance is to then be participating in God's salvation, because God's remembering of us through the performing of the sacrament, right? He is giving to us all of his promises and all of his gifts, because that's what his remembrance is tied to, his salvation, his forgiveness, his giving of himself, truly his true body and true blood to us to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of our sins. And so, so by participating in the sacrament as Christ has instituted it, we participate in all of God's salvation in Jesus. Cause that's what's going on when God remembers in a positive way, when God remembers again, when God remembers sins, that's a very negative thing for us. But when he remembers us according to his promise, according to Christ for us. That is our salvation and we participate in that. So,
0: but good job, Ben. Good job, Ben. Yes. I was a little worried as you started talking about remembrance and the Lord's <laughs> Supper. You were kind of like <laughs> Donald Duck over here. You were tiptoeing on a little bit of heresy, but you explained it brilliantly. So, thank you for that, Ben.
2: <laughs> I don't have to tiptoe.
1: Ben doesn't tiptoe He's not a totaler, I think is the the term There's nothing delicate about Ben Right
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's an amazing thing to think about though That uh, what we have in the Lord's Supper Is not just warm fuzzy feelings Or some mental exercise Or just you know some imagination game It's a real thing It's real prep participation real fellowship with the real presence of jesus and and truly really receiving his actual body and blood and the actual forgiveness of your sins not just fond memories of receiving it sometime in the past um it's a wonderful thing and it's also kind of scary to think about if we reject jesus and we're not Believing in that and and having those wonderful benefits, pretty awful thought to think of God then now looking at us and actually seeing our sins that have not been paid for or that have not been covered by Jesus because they were objectively paid for. But, you know, if we aren't receiving that and Jesus is or God is looking at us now and we're not in Jesus He's going to remember all that, and he is going to come and act on that. And that's an awful thought to think of the creator God, the almighty God, the just judge coming
2: to punish us for our sins. Yeah, and that's the whole point of the of the warning too that St. Paul gives in regard to the Lord's Supper when he warns against coming in an unworthy manner. Because what you are doing is an actual participation, regardless of, you know, whether you come in faith or unbelief, it's still an actual participation. It's just to come in faith is to participate in the benefits, to come in unbelief is to participate in God's judgment. And so it is, again, far more than just this surface level kind of thing. It is an actual participating either in God's salvation or God's judgment in that way, so.
1: let's roll on into verse six then and start looking at the kind of the proclamation of the judgment that's coming um i don't know about you guys but when i read this it actually brought my mind back to another passage in in the old testament um one that was drilled into my head i guess shout out to uh brad pribino at the at the seminary right uh brad if you're listening to this uh somebody will buy you a zot or something i'm not sure uh but uh as we get to the end of verse six it says mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed and i thought about this other double thing in holy scripture nakamu nakamu you guys remember where that is the hebrew nakamu nakamu um comfort is comfort. Isaiah. The... yeah
2: it's in the isaiah isaiah 40 uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah so you've got kind of this this contrast right Um, comfort, comfort. You've got this double portion of comfort that comes to Israel as God remembers her and his promises. Um, And you have this double portion of judgment poured out upon Babylon as he remembers her iniquities. So kind of a a cool contrast and connection then with that Old Testament passage.
0: I'll I'll affirm that that is a very interesting <laughs> aside, Mike. Uh, there's there's going to be a lot of dead air on this uh, episode of the podcast. So we we apologize uh, due to our lack of editing because none of us just really have the time to do that um but mike i affirm what you are saying that is <laughs> thank you, thank that you. i'm gonna i'm gonna quit <laughs>
1: making like statements i'll just let you go. No, that's okay I mean, <laughs> it's, like, it's,
0: it's good to see the contrast between both of them that's exactly what we did in the last verse too didn't we where we talked mm-hmm. about sins piling up we talked about babylon ben talked about remembering uh her crimes which is a negative thing but the good news is is that in more the pouring out a double portion for her cup I mean that's not good, uh, but the opposite is in Christ we get the double portion of awesomeness. So there you go. I
1: think we need a like a hashtag podcast for the double portion of awesomeness.
2: Yeah, that's 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 a great Advent text. to that Isaiah forty, you know, God is proclaiming comfort to his to his people and how he will you know, restore double what she lost due to her sins. And so, you know, on that one, it is the overbounding grace of God, you know, forgiving her sins. And so, mm-hmm. and so it's, uh, but this is interesting because I I think if I heard rightly, Matt, you were talking about before, like kind of thinking about how, you know, sins piled to heaven and how God forgives all of those sins right and and so that's that's kind of the same thing too like cuz we have you know here babylon sins are piled up you know and god is remembering those things but in that isaiah text you know all of those sins that were piled up god forgives and gives even more than the greatness of our sins out of his grace and so yeah but yeah also we don't ever want God to say to us,
0: pay them back for all of their sins. Right? Yeah, here's, <laughs> like, a, here's so... <laughs> a double portion of wrath. Enjoy
2: that. So, in the way that you have sinned against God and against people, now it returns upon you. Like, that's not a place that, uh, that you want to be either.
1: uh should we see revelation 18 6 as a is teaching karma then is that that's what this is right that whatever you do kind of comes back you do bad things it comes back on you right ben that's what it is well, oh, there yeah. it is. Spot on, spot on. Mike. <laughs> is for the day, folks. You got to get it in somewhere.
0: Ben tiptoeing on the great way of explaining communion, and then Mike full bore just straight on through, <laughs> full in a china shop now talking about <laughs> karma. Nice, one. nice well,
2: one. karma is, you know, it's impersonal, right? It's kind of this idea of just like impersonal forces that that work on, on you, whereas You know with this this is god's action in particular and you know but we see also god's justice right and so you know as he says you know vengeance is his he will repay so god has the perfect record right and so when he pays people back for what they have done it's just right and and of course karma obviously has no place for the forgiveness and, you know, and any of that. And so there's no, there's no place for, you know, someone being uh, the substitute for your sins so that those judgments don't actually come back on you. Um, and so anyways, but, but it is interesting though, you know, cause God does speak that language of justice. Right. And he, and he knows you know, what people have done and if those sins are not, um, if we do, if we have not received the forgiveness of those sins because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, then the bill comes to us, right? <laughs> Pay what you owe, <laughs> and yeah, we don't want to be stuck with that bill.
1: <laughs> so my my karma question wasn't totally out of left field, and uh, and I knew Ben was gonna like kill it and give us good stuff. But I've actually heard somebody use this verse. To defend that the Bible teaches about karma. So like some some people out there think that. So th- thanks for shooting that down really solidly, Ben. Sorry to interrupt well, Matt. I
3: don't know if I understand the teaching of karma really, but from what I do understand, it's we I think we often actually as Americans, because it's an Eastern, you know, religious idea. Uh, But I think that we've actually misinterpreted it. And a lot of Christians have adopted it because it seems similar. So what people might be agreeing to is that if you do evil, evil will return to you kind of like you get what you deserve is kind of how it's interpreted. But I don't think that that's actually the idea really with karma. If I, if I get it, it's, it's uh, that, good and evil are in this balance and when there's imbalance that something else will come to balance it out and so that then if there's too much good then evil should come to balance it out as well and so it's it's going the other way too and that would reveal especially maybe in that part that it's nowhere near a christian idea because that would never be proper or good. We would never say that that is harmony um, and peace when good and evil are in balance um, with
2: each other. So again, it could like be missed the, mis- the yin yang kind of thing, right? Yeah. The,
1: or or like as Kylo balance. Ren grew in strength, so did Ray.
3: Yeah. And I mean, even with the force, which is more of a Buddhist or Hindu idea, <laughs> It, it is actually, the, the force is based on that too. So then a lot of people have used yeah. the force as a idea of, of Christian thought and it's not. And, and we see the battle of good and evil, but you'll also notice that when there's too much good going on with the force and everything, the dark side is necessarily going to come balance it out. It seems mm. in, in the Star Wars theology, you could say, but anyway, a lot of that is tied up in a very different system of thought, and it's not a Christian one, and we shouldn't ever confuse the two, because what we're talking about is a a judge, a just judge, who is always upholding righteousness and is paying um, people according to their deeds, whether good or bad, and um, and so it's, I mean, it's a bit of an eye for an eye thing. You, you reap wickedness or you sow wickedness, you will reap judgment, right? Um, The, in, in turn as is appropriate. And um, so it's not some, yeah, impersonal balancing thing in the universe. It's actually God um, upholding truth and what is right and good. Um, Bless, you know, blessing or rewarding good and punishing evil. And so um, there could be a few things that are somewhat similar, but we cannot confuse the two systems
2: of thought. Yeah. And so it's, uh, you know, it's actual wickedness, right? So in the, so with that whole like language of balance in the karmic system like evil isn't necessarily really evil right because if it's in balance with with the good then it it's kind of neutral and you see that you know again in the in the star wars universe right the the evil isn't really objectively evil you know like the force isn't it's not objectively good or bad it's just kind of both it's almost like it's neutral in some ways you know, and the good and evil are subjectively perceived in that. Anyway, so, but what we're talking about here is the objective goodness and objective wickedness, right?
1: Guys, I really where, think, do
0: you think, where do you think Thanos fits into this with the snap? It's
1: <laughs> <laughs> a great question. Wasn't I, I that, really think, but isn't we, that what you know. he's kind
2: of trying to do, though, right? Oh, we we his, So, you know, so apparently, you know, Star Wars and Marvel are in lockstep with each other. And in the Marvel Universe, Thanos is going to bring balance to the universe.
0: <laughs> well, well, you know that they're all in the same universe, right, Ben? Like, they're all under the same umbrella. They're all owned by the same company.
2: Yeah, I guess they are now.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, pro- I think we probably need to do a like a spin-off podcast where we just talk about the theology of Star Wars and Marvel <laughs> Universe. And Oh, you know movies. what? That's a
0: great idea. If the listeners want us to do that, you should email us at God's Word During Exile, all one word, at gmail.com. <laughs> and
1: that's a perfect segue into verse seven, I think. Right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right. uh, we've got some comparing and some contrasting here going on, right? First line, as she being Babylon glorified herself and lived in luxury, uh, then God says, for- or give her a like measure of torment and mourning, uh, and then she talks about herself, you know, I sit as a queen, I'm not a widow and mourning I shall never see. And then again, the kind of the contrasting line for this reason, her plagues come in a single day. How should we, uh, how should we understand kind of verse seven and kind of that back and forth of how she glorifies herself and then kind of meets um, fitting judgment? Uh,
2: I don't know what, which, uh, which Psalm it is off the top of my head, but it reminds me of the language of the Psalms, like where, you know you think that you are, you know, rich and and well clothed and all this but in reality you're poor, hungry, naked and destitute. Mm-hmm. And and so much of you know like, like in Jesus ministry with opening the eyes of the blind and so on like so much of it is about, you know, perceiving who we actually are in our sinfulness because we will always think that we're better than we are. We will just Think that we're super great right or the when jesus talks to the pharisees about you know after they kicked the the blind man who had jesus healed they kicked him out of the synagogue you know and jesus is talking with them and and they are indignant that he would suggest that they were blind and you know jesus said you know if you were actually blind you would you would have no guilt but since you say we see your guilt remains. So they had no accurate assessment of themselves. They thought that they could see, they thought they were righteous. They thought they had it all together and what they could not see was their own wickedness, their, their nakedness, their ness, their need of being clothed by the son of God who was standing in front of them clothed with his righteousness, you know, and so much, I mean, I think, you know, it just ties into all of the, You know, the prominent themes in scripture of light and darkness and, you know, you know, in enlightenment in that sense, like seeing things as God sees them, seeing our sin as God sees our sin, knowing our need for for Christ, because without that, again, we just we think we're awesome. It's like the emperor has no clothes, right? We think we're going around clad and all this great stuff. And it's like, no, actually, you're naked and destitute. That's your that's your sinful state and it's kind of the same thing here with you know with babylon she exalts herself kind of like also the you know was it like the king of tyree or so on you know i will ascend to heaven i've done all these great things you know the proud boasts of of you know those who have ruled world empires where they just think that they're the best there's ever been and they have done all this by their own power and then in a moment often it's all gone like we could think of babylon itself right this. it's great empire thinking they're on top of the world, right. Celebrating. Oh yeah. Everything's great. Even though, you know, Oh, there's some writing on the wall. Ah, Who cares about that? You know, we'll just partied up all that great, you know, and then in the, you know, in a single night it's done and there's the median Persian empire. Right. And Babylon has fallen in a single night. Right. And so we kind of get that picture here as well. That, pride and then god judges that pride is like yeah in a heartbeat it's gone right.
3: some of the uh phrasing that you used is from revelation three seventeen. for you say i am rich i prospered and i need nothing oh, not sure. realizing that you are wretched pitiable poor blind and naked so you could um go and check back on uh, listeners, you could check back on the letter to the church in Laodicea uh, for some of that idea. I'm not sure which psalm you
2: are thinking of there, Ben, but that also I, contrasts. I maybe tied those both together, but
1: <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah. uh, and that that church uh, and what's said about Laodicea contrasts. Is it Smyrna? I think it's the second letter that the church and it says, you know, it, basically in this world you've got nothing, uh, but you're truly rich. And it kind of brings to mind also like um, like the Beatitudes a little bit too. Blessed are the poor in spirit, you know? Um, and I don't remember the exact blessing that comes. You can look it up, Matthew 5. It's really there. Beatitudes are real. But it, it reminds <laughs> you of those things, or right? As you go through the Beatitudes, the people who are poor in spirit and humble and meek and whatever, they don't really look great, but God proclaims all these blessings because of what they have in and through faith in, in Christ and his finished work. And that's... That's where true riches are found always is in, is in Christ.
3: Reminds me yeah, too yeah. of the the call that, you know, Revelation and Isaiah talk about to come and buy when you have no money and to be mm-hmm. able to buy all these wonderful things. And, and that's the picture of the other side of this, then the, the Christian way that those of us who realize we're poor and blind and naked and, We have no money. We can come and buy all the riches of heaven because of God's gift to us. And we have everything. And so you've got this, you know, ironic contrast that, I mean, really, she's getting what she deserves. But the appearance of things is that she had everything going well at first and she was very arrogant and that's that's so true of our worlds too. A lot of people would think, "Oh, God must love me. I must be blessed, or I must have the right ideas." Because look at my life; I have everything I need, or that everybody else wants. And and uh, God's really going to flip the tables on on uh, this world, and and reveal what's really behind it all. That those who have been maybe living in luxury, but those who have been you know, living in unbelief and wickedness, they're going to get what's coming to them in the end. And, and vice versa, then, though we may suffer and seem to have nothing in this world, acceptance or wealth or health or whatever it is, that God is going to come to us who believe and, and give us everything. And it's a beautiful, a kind of opposite picture of these two conditions.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good warning not to trust in outward appearance, right? And not to set our hearts on the, the things of this world. Um, I mean, that's in part why Jesus says to the rich young ruler, or after he leaves, sad, he tells his disciples, you know, he, he exclaims how difficult it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, right? Not because it's uh, sinful in itself to be rich, but when we have lots of stuff that tends to be what we trust. Right. And we think that everything is great. Um, It also reminds me, I'm pretty sure I have this one right this time Psalm 73. You know, the psalmist, he's looking around and he's, and all he sees is that he's like, oh, the way that things look to my eyes, the wicked prosper, the righteous suffer. Right. And he's like, do I do all of this in vain? You know, do I follow, you know, the Lord's commands and live a, a righteous life all in vain? And then the turning point of the psalm is he goes into the temple, right? And so he goes to the word of God, what God has said. And he said that in the sanctuary of God, he perceives the end of the wicked and how God will judge them. And that is really the the turning point of the psalm that answers those questions that he needed to see with, with different eyes, as it were, right? Not just looking on outward appearance and, you know, and material wealth. And that can often seem to be the case with us too. Um, it seems like, you know, the wicked prosper and the church suffers. And that's the way it is in this age often. Um, but what we keep our eyes on is what God has said concerning the end. That is always where our focus needs to be Um, because when we're too short-sighted in that when we just look at this world that's when we really get caught up in trusting anything and everything except God and his word right and we kind of talked about this was maybe I don't know if it was last week or time before but you know we we get caught up in the moment and we start looking to you know our rulers and authorities to, you know, to come and save us, or we think that we will be saved by starting, you know, revolutions and, and insurrections against the current, you know, uh, powers in authority. And we think that by these things that we will save ourselves basically. And we can be even so deluded as to think that these things are what God wants us to do when his word says very clearly other things, (laughs) you know, um, so we always want to keep our eyes on the, on the end result, right? The promise of what, what is coming at the second coming of Christ. Cause it was kind of the same thing, you know, kingdoms come, kingdoms go right. Uh, economies grow strong and they fall completely apart. Right. Um, we don't want to trust in those things, but the church remains because Christ remains. And when Christ comes again, we receive all good things in him. And so that is the, the task and the challenge before the church is to keep her eyes on what God has said and to hold fast to that word, willing to suffer the loss of all things in order to retain Christ and his word because it doesn't matter how much we lose in this life that doesn't i'm not saying it's not painful i'm not saying there isn't the cost there but ultimately speaking it doesn't matter because what is it that we receive when christ returns so they so they kill us and take a and we lose our bodies right well jesus comes back and says yo here's your body back cool you know uh we lose material wealth and and so on and so forth right jesus comes back and says oh Here's the new heavens and the new earth, right? Um, But if we lose our souls because we're trusting in all this other stuff and we have lost Christ, then all that remains is that terrifying judgment that is coming on Babylon. And so so we need to have our eyes rightly open and our focus on the right thing. And it cannot be that we value our own comfort and material well-being And our own ideas of what looks like, you know, success and victory and so on. Um, Nor can we care so much about being liked by the world around us that we give up Christ and his word. We can never, ever do that. Everything else will be restored to us when Jesus returns. But if we give up Christ, we got nothing. All we have then is the fleeting wealth and influence of this age, which is like shown here. It's gone in a single day.
3: That will be restored to us are, are, as it says, poetically double, or in other words, so much better than anything we could have here because they are going to be pure. They're going to be without any of the flaws and corruptions. And they're also going to last forever. Moth and rust are not going to be able to destroy those things and we'll be able to enjoy them forever. So if there's anything you love in this life, in this world, um, and maybe it seems really tempting right now, recognize that, that that is a fleeting thing that's corrupted and it will not bring you happiness. But if you are patient and you trust the Lord and you're willing to, to let him lead you home, he's going to bless you more than you could imagine with things so much better than any of that. And, um, and he'll take care of you. And so we can trust in that. And that's such an encouraging thing. I was just talking with our Bible study group, and we were praying for a lot of people that are just in really tough situations and are suffering right now. And the fact is, is a lot of these people are never going to get better. Maybe they can fight for a little bit longer and prolong their life or ease their pain a little bit, but ultimately they're going to they're gonna die. They're going to fade away and die. And, so, and yet we don't have a hopeless situation. We, we have tr- a true hope that, that God is going to take care of us and bless us uh, in the end and uh what a wonderful
0: not only to piggyback on that matt too as believers um healing is a guarantee whether it happens on this side or on the other and that's Mm -hmm. something that i think we need to constantly be reminded is that that healing for a person who is a believer in christ is a guarantee there's you will not have to suffer with it anymore so yeah we have a thursday night service where we specifically pray for those situations as well and and a lot of times we pray that people will you know come to the knowledge of christ so that they realize that what they're dealing with is not the end of what they have to carry for eternity but that they have a chance to be completely healed whether it happens here or on the other side so
3: I think that all this, oh, were you going to jump in here? Oh, go ahead. You can go I was just going to lead us into verse eight if you want, if you're ready to.
2: Oh, uh, I was just going to um, <laughs> to say along with that to you that all of this, like knowing the knowing the end, right? So we know the end of the wicked, right? So this should also then be a driving force in the church to preach, law and gospel to all nations right both the you know the preaching of john the baptist right repent for the kingdom of god is at hand because that is true right jesus could return at any time and so his kingdom is oh, the fullness of his kingdom is always near and and so the call to repent because we know what's coming right and so when we see our our neighbors around us who not you know who aren't trusting in in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, we know there that if they stay in that state, we know the end, right? So we want to call them to repentance, to come out as it we were, come out of Babylon, you know, and um, to repent of their sins, and to also, along with that, proclaim the comfort comfort of Isaiah, right? That the forgiveness of sins uh, in Christ, and so you know, in that way, you know, we want to snatch as many from the fire as, as we can, right. Not that it's our work, but God works through us. And so we want to uh, certainly be proclaiming the truth of God's word. And if we, and if we decided that we can just give up God's word, then we got nothing to say to people who are stuck in their sins on their way to hell. Right. So we want to, so this drives the mission of the church, you know, wake up, right. Wake up, oh sleeper. Right. Uh, Realize that you are poor, naked, and destitute, um, but that Christ has come that you may be clothed with his righteousness and forgiveness, right? So, So knowing the end should drive the mission of the church to preach God's truth, both law and gospel, and to not compromise on that truth because that's what people need, right? We're not doing anybody any favors when we play fast and loose with God's word and we decide that we should be just like the rest of the world that is going to hell what sense does that make right then we're no longer a light shining in the darkness right we have just become in the darkness so anyways
3: <laughs> so, i don't have a lot to say uh, about this that you haven't or that we haven't already said but i just want to then draw our attention back to verse eight that this is um this is the final end that we're talking about that we see here this, for this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. So like one fell swoop here, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And her end is certain. And the interesting thing about this is that unlike some of the bulls that were kind of this, this uh, progressively worse judgment emphasis here is on this final and sudden judgment um and and uh so we see that though things might be falling apart for her in certain ways and and everything uh, prior to this that she's going to be standing there maybe seemingly still uh to some degree, thriving, and then suddenly God's judgment is going to come in one fell swoop. And that's a, a shocking image as well. And as we look at our world, we can look around again and see that there might be a lot of prospering going on, um, even in wicked places. Um, but God is going to come suddenly like a thief, and he's going to bring us to judgment, right? And This city that is a picture, not only of the devil's workers, but of the state of this evil world, this evil world is going to come suddenly into judgment and God's going to quickly, suddenly bring it all to an end. And he is the mighty Lord God and judge who's going to bring this world to judgment. And we ought to be ready for that. And, and, uh, if we are living in open sin, unrepentant sin, let this, you know, be our wake up call that God is going to come, um, when we're not expecting it and bring us to judgment. And we ought to be afraid and repent at this point, call out to him. And also for those of us who are trusting in him. Uh, We can see that though this world is evil and seems to be succeeding and might be tormenting us, uh, that it it will be brought to an end. And I think of, you know, some of the things specifically going on lately and particularly I just had the situation in Haiti come to mind with all those missionaries, including children that were kidnapped. You know, God's going to God's going to bring that kind of stuff that kind of garbage and wickedness, he's going to bring it to an end and he's going to judge all who would persecute his church and and all who reject him.
2: That's why he says, just going off what you're saying, I meant today is the day of salvation, right? Or he'll say, today, do not harden your heart.
0: or you know to quote one of the best villains in
1: Disney is it Mickey Mouse
0: it's obviously Scar telling us to be prepared
2: (laughs) (laughs) well we all know how it turned out for Scar right
0: (laughs) exactly
3: the picture (laughs) of repentance and humility right no
0: I mean, he definitely got a double portion of wrath. So,
1: It's kind of accurate.
0: Yeah.
1: So what you're saying is the Lion King is based off of Revelation chapter 8.
3: <laughs> and all of the th- theological teachings of the Lion King are accurate. I mean, yeah. I'm the one that's supposed to say <laughs> here. <heresy>, that. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. do You trust drew me in, in, Mike. You drew me in.
0: I apologize to our listeners for that. And it looks like we're going to have to wrap up with some gospel. So if anybody
3: yeah, somebody
1: bring it, it home here, bring us ben, home. Ben was trying and then we did the Disney thing. So if he just <laughs> finishes what he's saying, we'll have the gospel. So,
2: so seeing with, you know, those kinds of things, you know, today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart, you know, and especially, you know, since we live in the midst of Babylon, the temptations are everywhere. Right. And we must be careful to walk carefully because, one, we are weak and easily pulled astray. Um, Two, if we decide to revel in those temptations and so on, there's no guarantee that we will come back to repentance before we die or our Lord returns. So we kind of left with the question, too, then how do we live as Christians in this in the midst of Babylon. And this is the importance of coming to to church on a regular basis um, to hear God's word, you know, that confronts our sin and forgives our sins to, you know, um, be reminded of what God did and continues to do in holy baptism, that he has put his name on us. We belong to him. We are his. He buried us with Christ, raised us to new life, right? Gives us those promises and the regular reception of his holy supper in which he gives himself to us, his body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And so this regular cycle of hearing God's word of confession and absolution, and, you know, which is very much tied to baptism, um, to to living in those, that baptismal promise that continues on forever and to continually receive Christ uh, for the forgiveness of our sins. This is how we live in Babylon. Right. And so God is our protection and he gives us these means of protecting us, his word and his sacraments, um, conviction of sin and forgiveness of sins. And so then we can take those uh, in that reality, we can encourage one another too in the church um, to repentance and forgiveness and to the objective reception of those things. And so that's how we live uh, In Babylon, in the midst of all of these temptations and dangers, so
3: you're saying that we need God's word during exile.
1: Ooh, perfect! All um, right, we can't end any better than that. So we're <laughs> gonna go. We're gonna pray. Let's, Let's pray, Uh, Heavenly Father. Thank you for today, Lord. Thank you that even though we do live in exile, live in Babylon, in a in a wicked world that's sinful and corrupted, Lord, that you deliver your word to us. God, by your word, continue to bring us to repentance. Show us our sin and need for a savior. And by word and sacrament, Lord, give us Christ. Allow us to trust in his finished word for us um, and to just rest in it. Lord, allow us to uh, continue to be hungry for your word and to gather in your church. Allow us to live as as faithful Christians, even in the midst of, of wickedness and sin and corruption, um, and continue to speak to us as you have promised through your word. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Next week, lament. Lament. Amen. Not lemons.
0: It's close, though. See you later. <laughs>